coming from John chapter 16. There are Bibles and the seat backs in front of you. It'll be up on the screen uh, for you to follow along, or you can read in your own Bibles or those uh, that are in the seats. We are continuing on our, our, our series on the gospel of John, and here we are in John chapter 16, and we start in verse 16. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. We're going to come back to that verse. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning that we can come as a church family. Uh, thank you so much for the wonderful uh, worship that we've already been able to experience, Lord, the presence of your Holy Spirit here uh, living in us, working through us to praise your name. Now as we come to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds. I pray that you'd give me the words that you have uh, me to say as we examine uh, these words of yours this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Some years ago, I got a call, middle of the night, from a number I didn't recognize. I picked it up, and the voice on the other end asked, Darvin? Yeah, this is Darvin, I answered. Who's this? It's Adam. Well, okay, well, I know about two dozen Adams, so you're going to have to be a little more specific here. Well, it's Adam. You were my camp counselor a couple years ago at church camp, in Florida. Ah, yes, yes. I remember you. Hi, Adam. It had been two years since that camp. 
It had been just a great week uh, with a group of guys. I was a camp counselor, and Adam had been one of the guys. The last night at that camp, I took my group out to the beach, and we just we sat there, and, and we talked about Jesus and, and, and all the guys' futures. And After we prayed and we were headed back to the cabins, Adam walked alongside me, and I'll still remember he asked for my number, and he wrote my number on the back of his hand to plug in his phone later so he could call me and ask me questions about faith. I had thought he had met in the next few days. <laughs> this was two years later. It was a little hard to get the, this going a couple years later. What's going on? I asked. The voice on the other end got silent, and then it got weak. And he started by just saying, I'm alone. Adam went on to tell me that the year after that camp, the year after he graduated from high school, he joined the army. And he had been deployed and had seen things that he could never forget. He had seen friends die. And now he was curled in the corner of a barracks in some foreign land all alone. There was so much pain in his voice as he began to explain all of this to me, but he called to ask a question. What I had told him he could do all those years before by writing my number on his hand, he called to ask me one question that night. What does God do with our pain? <laughs> That's a hard one to answer, right? What does God do with all our pain? Have you ever asked a question like that? What does God do with my pain? Does he have a plan here? What happens to this? This morning we're in John chapter 16, that passage we just read, verses 16 through 33. And it's a passage where Jesus is going to be comforting his disciples, telling them, hey guys, you're about to undergo some real pain here. When I die, it's going to be painful, I know. But I'm going to do something with your pain. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing with our pain today. Same thing. And so we get started in John chapter 16. If you still have got your Bibles open, you can follow along with me as we jump into the passage. John 16, 16, Jesus starts this passage like this. He says, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Kind of some hidden language here, right? But Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. In a little while, you will see me no more. In a little while, he's going to die. He's a matter of hours away from being arrested, crucified, hung on a cross. When he dies, he'll be taken down from that cross, placed in a tomb, stone rolled over the tomb, and then his disciples will see him no more. But then, after a little while, you will see me. Three days later, he will defeat death. He will rise from the grave again. They'll see him. And for 40 days, they'll see him as he appears to them after his resurrection. Verse 17. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Disciples didn't have the rest of the story like we do. They're not living on this side of the empty tomb. They're confused. Verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. 
Jesus doesn't spell out exactly what's going to happen here, does he? He doesn't say, in, in this many hours, I'm going to be arrested, and then uh, I'm going to be tortured, and I'm going to be crucified, and then, hey, wait, because at this time of this day, I'm going to be resurrected. He doesn't spell out exactly what's going to happen. These guys are going to face real pain, and they're going to face it amidst uncertainty, as we often do in our lives. And then we come to the verse I really want to key in on this morning. It's verse 20, all right? Listen to this, it's good stuff. John 16, verse 20. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. That's a powerful verse. Let's break it down for a little bit. First, Jesus says, you will weep and mourn. And this is exactly what we will see happen in the coming days. As Jesus is crucified, his disciples scattered. They're in fear. They, they run they're distraught. You will weep and mourn. That's exactly what Peter does. Peter will go on to deny Jesus three times. And then in Matthew 26, 75, we're told that he went outside and wept bitterly. In this passage, Jesus uses multiple words to describe how the disciples are going to feel. And they're all spot on. They will weep. They will mourn. They will grieve. They will feel anguish. In a word, when Jesus dies, his disciples are going to feel intense pain, pain. Then Jesus adds, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices, while the world rejoices. In John 19, soldiers, the Roman soldiers are going to gamble joyfully for Jesus' clothes. Then in Matthew 27, we see others making fun of Jesus' as he's on the cross. Luke 21, crowds cheer for Jesus to be crucified. Crucify him, crucify him. The world did rejoice over Jesus' death. So far, this is not the most encouraging statement, right? You will be in pain as the world rejoices. But then here's where it gets good. At the end of verse 20, Jesus says this, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Your grief will turn to joy. In life, pain Pain is certain, isn't it? Pain is certain. But Jesus turns our pain to joy. Three days later, these disciples are going to be huddled behind locked doors, scared for their lives when the resurrected Jesus shows up. And then in John 20, 20, we read, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The disciples' pain turned to joy. It did. So in one sense, Jesus is actually speaking prophecy in verse 20. Because everything he says in this verse comes true just in the next few days. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. But in another sense, this verse is more personal than prophetic. Jesus is trying to personally just comfort his disciples. He knows how excruciating this pain they're about to go through is. And so he tells them, I'm going to turn your, your pain into joy. And this is the same message that I believe this passage has for us this morning. Jesus turns pain into joy. The Old Testament tells us that this is something the Messiah was going to be up to. In Isaiah 61, 2 to 3, Jesus said, uh, it says that the Messiah will come to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. 
to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Sounds a whole lot like our passage today. It's the same thing Jesus tells us in 1620. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Jesus turns pain into joy. Now, we usually don't think of the two going together. Pain and joy seem like they're opposites to us. But as we move through the rest of our passage, we're going to see three truths about pain. And they're each going to tell us in a unique way how Jesus does this, how he turns pain into joy, how it's possible that those two could, could go together. So first, how does Jesus turn pain into joy? Because in Christ, pain has purpose. Pain has purpose. Listen to what Jesus tells his disciples in verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Jesus' disciples are about to be plunged into an intense time of pain that's going to feel like childbirth. But there's a purpose to the pain. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, a new world is being born. Verse 22. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Here Jesus isn't just saying, hey, you're going to feel some pain and then you'll get over it, it'll be all right. No, he's saying that there's joy on the other side of pain because there's purpose in pain. My daughter Eden came into this world on an icy day last year in February, and, and I still remember that day, uh, the labor, the hours of pain for my wife, Megan, and my hand as she grabbed it. <laughs> and then five minutes later, when we were holding our daughter, man, that pain, it was all but forgotten. It was still there, we still experienced it, but it just, it been transformed into joy because there was this profound purpose behind that pain. Jesus turns pain into joy because pain has a purpose. Often we assume that nothing positive can come from pain. We just kind of grit and bear it until we get through it. But scripture claims pain has a purpose. Now, quick, quick disclaimer. This doesn't mean that pain always has a tangibly positive outcome that we can see in our lives. It doesn't. We also have to avoid speculating what God will do in in specific situations as if we possess the divine perspective. When we do that, we begin to trust our reading of the situation instead of God's leading. He doesn't say our pain will disappear into comfort, but that he will transform our pain as we find purpose and redemption through it. So if we live faithfully, prayerfully through pain, we will come out on the other side and be able to look back and see that all that pain, just like childbirth, it had a purpose. So how does pain have purpose? Well, several ways. Here are just a few. First, pain compels us to see that the world is broken. That this world, something's wrong. Every time you feel pain, you kind of just go, ah, this world isn't as it ought to be. And it's not. 
And that drives us to seek answers. It compels us to seek a savior for the broken world. Pain has a purpose. Next, pain tells us that we are broken personally. Think about the, the role that pain plays in our, our physical health and telling us something's wrong. If we get done and I'm stepping off the stage and there's a, there isn't, but if there was a nail there and I stepped right on the nail, I'm going to feel a little pain, I'd imagine. But what if I didn't? That nail might stay in my foot and lead to an infection that could cost me my foot or worse. If we didn't have pain, we'd be in a lot of trouble with diagnosing our own brokenness. As C.S. Lewis says, pain rouses us from the illusion that we are not broken and in need of salvation. Next, pain leads us to humbly depend on God. When we're in really painful situations, we know we can't do it alone. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Next, pain grows us spiritually. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says, rejoice in our sufferings. That's a strange idea. Rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Olympics are coming up and think about all the pain that an Olympic uh, long distance runner has to go through to grow their endurance. I couldn't do it. A lot of pain there, right? To grow and it's the same way spiritually. Pain has a purpose as it grows us spiritually. Next, pain helps us listen. When we're in those intense time of pain, we're more likely to listen to God. We're more likely to be sitting silently asking questions, praying, depending on him. So it's been said that God whispers to us in our everyday lives, that God speaks to us in our joys and shouts to us in our pain. And finally, pain gives us an opportunity for a unique witness. If we as Christians go through times of intense pain in our lives with peace, with even joy, with hope, That's unique, isn't it? And other people notice, and it gives us opportunities to tell them about this Savior that gives us peace, even in times of pain. I know it was times, it was the time of most intense pain in my life, where my friends who are furthest from Jesus were most likely to sit down and listen to me about my faith. Pain gives us a unique witness. Pain has purpose, a lot of purpose. This is just scratching the surface. And if we live faithfully through pain, we're gonna see purpose on the other side. And only then will we be able to see how Jesus turns pain into joy. Second, how does Jesus turn pain into joy? Because Christ's pain gives us access to God. In John 16, 25 to 27, Jesus says this, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. The disciples have been in this relationship with Jesus, uh, with God through the physical presence of Jesus. But when Jesus overcomes the pain of death through his resurrection, he says, in that day, they won't need any person to stand between them and God. They will have direct access to the Father 
Because of Christ's suffering and resurrection, the Father loves us if we love Christ. So Christ's pain gives us direct access to God. In Israelite temple worship, how these guys would have been used to worshiping before Jesus came along and rocked their worlds, in Israelite temple worship, there were just layers between the average person and God. Only priests had direct access to God. The presence of God was seen as residing in this place called the Holy of Holies at the center of the temple in Jerusalem. And the normal Israelite that went to that temple had no hope of accessing the Holy Holies. There were at least three physical obstacles. Some of them were walls between them and the presence of God, between the average Israelite and accessing God. I've been having some... uh, trouble with my vehicle lately, and I just keep kind of dumping money into it, and I would like to have a little chat with the CEO of Honda, just kind of how I, how I feel about this, but what would happen if I tried to actually a- access that big shot Honda CEO? Think I could do it? I mean, if I go to the office and I try to have that discuss- discussion with him, at very best, the front desk is going to take me to some vice president's assistant, who at very best is going to take me to the CEO's assistant, who's going to tell me that the CEO isn't in, whether or not he is, have me write a letter that they're going to throw away. There's no chance I'm going to get access to him. And that's largely how first century folks in Israel, like Jesus' disciples before they met Jesus, would have felt. There were these impossible obstacles they felt between them and accessing God. The last obstacle in the temple was a veil that guarded that holy of holies where the presence of God was seen as residing. But then in the moment of Christ's greatest pain, in the moment of his death, this is what happened to that that veil that represented that separation between God and people. Matthew 27, 50 to 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Christ's suffering, his pain, makes it possible for us to access the Holy of Holies, for us to access the very presence of God. Ephesians 2.18 tells us that through him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. While this might feel somewhat normal to us, this would have blown the disciples' minds. Through the pain Christ endured, we have direct access to God. He tears down every wall that stands between us and God. Christ's pain, Christ's pain turned into our joy. We don't have to pray, confess, worship through any other person. We can sit at our kitchen table Pray, read our, read our Bible, and just be with God. That's incredible. Christ's pain gives us direct access to God, and in doing so, Jesus turned his pain into our joy. And then third, how does Jesus turn pain into joy? Because pain is redeemed in the resurrection. This passage keeps coming back to the resurrection. It's in some hidden language, but it's there the whole time. Three times in verses 16, 17, and 19, we read that same phrase, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. That's death 
and resurrection. And then in verse 28, we're told about Jesus' departure through the resurrection. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And the last verse, verse 33, tells us about the results of Jesus' resurrection. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How has Jesus overcome the world? His resurrection, his defeat of death. Why should the disciples have peace? His resurrection. They'll see him again. Why should the disciples take heart? The resurrection. Jesus has overcome the world. When Jesus dies, the disciples will experience incredible pain. He warns, that of, uh, he warns them about that several times, but that pain will be redeemed in the resurrection. In the resurrection, their pain will turn to joy. If you remember back all the way, John 2, when we first started this sermon series, Jesus is standing in front of the temple, this huge gold and stone building, and he says this, I will destroy this temple and raise it again in three days. And the people say, you can't do that. This took us 46 years to build. But he wasn't talking about that building. He was talking about his body. Now Jesus is about to head to his execution. And the question is, does death have the final word? Is any joy that we experience in this life just a brief blip on an otherwise short existence of pain? Destroy this temple and raise it in three days. The resurrection is God's ultimate redemption of pain, the defeat of death, and the only hope that we have for eternal life. Greed, death, shootings, murders are not right and cannot last because they belong to death and death does not belong. We trust in the resurrection. Three days after this night, Jesus, his friends will show up at his tomb. And they're told, he isn't here. Nothing can ever be the same again because the tomb is empty. He wasn't there. We live in a world in the midst of rescue where Jesus' death pays for our life. In the book of Revelation, we're told Jesus will come again, conquer evil, resurrect his followers to live with him in a new creation. And in that day of resurrection... Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. How does Jesus turn pain into joy? His pain is redeemed in the resurrection. Adam and I must have only talked for five minutes max. We're kind of getting into a good point in the conversation when someone else came into the barracks and he got a little embarrassed and hung up soon after that. I shared that verse from Revelation 21 with him and I tried to just give him some glimmer of hope and it was hard to fall back to sleep that night wondering if I had said all the right things. But if he called again, I'd want to read that verse, our verse this morning to him. Revelation, or John 16, 20. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Because even in our most painful moments, even amidst the worst pains of our lives, we have hope. 
Because Jesus turns pain into joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you do turn our pain into joy. Thank you that our our pain has purpose and is telling us something about ourselves in this world that, that we need a Savior. And so, Lord Jesus, turn our pain into joy. Give us hope in you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. As we come to this table, we come to remember that moment of pain for Jesus. The moment where his pain got turned into our joy. That pain was experienced through his body, represented in the bread, hung on the cross, and his blood shed for us, represented by the cup. And so we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Until he comes again. That's the resurrection part. If you are someone who, you're here this morning, you say, you know what, I don't know about this faith thing. I don't know about this Jesus thing. Or or I've been away from him for a while and I'm starting to think about him again. I just invite you that as our folks come forward, you'd come down and have a conversation with me about that this morning. I'd love to talk to you about that. As we come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup, and then as you return down the side aisles, you can give and the baskets on those, those aisles just as a part of your good and faithful worship as a part of this church. And as we come, we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Will you come? Do not pass.
trusting only in thy merit. Trusting only in thy merit. Would I see thy face? Pass me by.